0: We're starting a new series this morning. It's kind of a bumper series going through the second chapter of the book of Titus before we get into the book of Hosea. We're going to jump back into the Old Testament and do a series through a minor prophet. We've never done that before through Hosea. We're going to look at God's grace and kind of continue the theme from Galatians into the Old Testament. And we're going to see that the grace of God really is all over the pages of the scriptures. And you look at all the Bible, and you see glimpses, you see promises, you see foreshadowing of Christ and His work, and we're going to see that in the book of Hosea, excited about that. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2, and we're doing that very specifically to address everyone within the church, because within Titus chapter 2, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, in writing to a younger pastor, Timothy, is going to address old men, older women, young women, and young men. And so everybody in here is going to be encouraged and challenged in a specific way. And then we're going to get real controversial and talk about slaves and masters later on in the chapter in Titus 2. And then we're going to finish up with the grace of God in verse 11 and following. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Now the book of Titus is an interesting book. I've always loved the book of Titus, and it's in a collection of letters in the New Testament that are called pastoral letters or pastoral epistles. And so Paul, as an older man and pastor, had mentored younger men and younger pastors for all of his ministry. And so from the beginning beginning of him being called into ministry, he began to take younger guys along with him and teach them and show them how pastoral ministry works. How do you preach? How do you love people? How do you take care of people? How do you serve a church? How do you pastor and shepherd a church? And so he would walk around and Help and train up young men. And two of these men that stand out, that really are in the forefront of the pages of the scriptures, are a man named T- Timothy and a man named Titus. Both younger men from from Timothy. And Titus's story is really unique because at some point he was traveling with the Apostle Paul on this island called Crete. Now Crete is in the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean, uh, not Sea. The Mediterranean. What's that called? The Mediterranean. Oh, not Sea. Yeah, Mediterranean Sea, where the Rock of Gibral- 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 Gibraltar is the east of that, and the island of Crete is a little bit bigger than Jackson County or Williamson County. It's not all that large. There's places there that are about 50 miles in diameter, so it's a pretty small island, and as Paul traveled there with Titus, we don't have any record of exactly when he was in Crete, but we know he was there because when the letter opens up, he tells us, I left you in Crete to put into order... And to plant churches, or not plant churches, but establish elders in every town as I directed you. He says that explicitly. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Crete was this legendary sinful island. Christians, were, uh, Cretans were liars and drunkards. And here is a group of churches that were started right on this island. And then Paul says, Titus, now put these things into order. There's disorder everywhere, so I want you to raise up men and establish elders in each one of these little churches throughout the island. So as you would go throughout this island, you would walk and there would be a church in Carbonell, then there would be a church in Carterville, there would be a church in Heron. There, well, Heron's not Jackson County, but there would be churches in all these little, little communities and villages throughout the island of Crete. And Titus was responsible for establishing elders in these churches. And so in this letter we see encouragement to Titus to do that very thing and then we also see instruction where Paul instructs Titus what to do with the men and women that are in these churches so these churches were out of order and Titus was putting them back into order and that that started with being putting elders in place but then in chapter 2 we find that we have some direction for older men and for younger men and for older women and for younger women there's some things that needed to be put into order at the practical level the practical level about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and how do we live in not just society, but how do we live as the church, as men and as women? How do we live as we are growing older? How do we live as younger men? How do we live as older women and how do we live as younger women? So that's where we find ourselves in Titus chapter two. Now, the world is very interesting right now and it has been this way for a very long time, but uh, there was a time in our country where you grew up as a little boy looking forward to the day that you would become a man. Now we live in a society that laments the fact that they're men and they want to live as little boys. And it's a weird thing. Almost everything in our world is upside down. Here's the truth. Growing older is a very good thing. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's not something to apologize for. Growing older is a very good thing. Toys Toys R Us notoriously had that song that said, I don't want to grow up, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. It was kind of an anthem of a generation of men and women who were teaching boys and girls that it's a good thing to stay a child for as long as possible. I wish I wasn't a grown-up. I wish I didn't have these responsibilities. We have industries that are built around being young. Ladies, how much do you spend on aging stuff? You know, like that's like a billion dollar industry of women putting their, I mean, guys just look like this (laughs) with five, five dollar stuff that their wife gets from, from, uh, what is it? TJ Maxx. She's a Maxonista sometimes and brings home face cream and I just put on lotion or whatever. But ladies, there's an entire industry built around staying young. You got to stay, stay young. You got to get that Botox. You got to get that tucked. You got to get that whatever, but it's not just a thing for ladies now. It's a weirdest thing. There are guys getting Botox. Dudes getting Botox. Like and every older guy in here should be just right now just grumbling under their breath like the guys at McDonald's every morning, you know, at like 6 a.m., you know, the guys that go to McDonald's. <laughs> guys getting Botox. Listen to this. According to a recent release study from the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, the number of men getting Botox, com- Botox Dysport and some other name, totaled 453,281 in 2016, these are old statistics, adding up to 9.9% of total procedures done for both men and women. In 2015, a study from the American Psychology of Plastic Surgeons said the number of men getting getting injection increased by 337% by the year 2000. That comes from the highly reputable magazine called the Huffington Post. not just from 2015, but from 2015 to today, these statistics almost assuredly have gone up and up and up following that same trajectory. We live in a nation that idolizes old men who act like they're young men. And it's a tragedy, it's a problem, it's folly. Proverbs 20 verse 29 says this, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Gray hair of an old man is a symbol of a life of wisdom. These men carry with them lessons that they have learned from decades of defeat and victory. Decades of mountains and valleys, joys and sorrow. The world is in desperate need of old men of gravitas. Old men that have self-control. Old men that know what it means to be a man. We need desperately patriarchy. We desperately, desperately, desperately need godly old men we need polycarps who upon being told to deny Christ and pleaded with, will you please just deny Christ then you will not have to be burned at the stake. We need men who are 86 years old who look back or even older than that because he says this, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior, Jesus? And he was burned at the stake. Young men... There's a challenge for us to not despise, don't despise the passing of years. Don't lament the fact that in the future, if God would give you more years, that you will get older and in fact you will get old. Don't despise it, there's glory in it. Don't ever say, I don't want to grow up or I don't want to get old. Fools say such things. There's glory in becoming an old man. Now this is going to be encouraging, not just... For the older men today, it's going to be challenging, also encouraging. It's going to be for the young men because at some point, young men, you're going to be an older man. And at some point you're right now, at any given point, you're older than somebody in your life. And for ladies who are listening in, there is a heartache in so many women who do long for men that we're going to talk about today, men like this, that their husbands would become men like this. And there are some husbands, unfortunately, that want to be men like this, but are not allowed to be like that because of their wives. And vice versa. Ladies, you're going to be challenged as well over the next next few weeks. Young men will get a kick to the pants as well. If you don't note, notice, I just categorized myself in the young men category. Ten years ago, I would have put me in the older category. Guys that are my age now. So don't ever say, I don't want to grow up. There's glory, there's glory, there's glory in the gray haired man. Look at verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We need to know the context here because verse 1 and chapter 2 comes directly after verse 15 and 16 in Titus chapter 1. And if he's saying to Titus, but as for you, be like this, it's following something that he shouldn't be like. There's a group of people that are like this, but as for you, you need to be like this. Well, what were those people like? Well, in verse 15 and 16, we find out, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Now, after that, Paul says, don't be like that. So he says, but as for you... Instead of being like that, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what follows in this chapter is what accords with sound doctrine. He's going to be instructing old men, as already stated, old women, young women, and young men about life. Here's how life works. This is what goes along with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is congruent with sound living. Titus is commanded to connect the dots with sound doctrine and sound living or right living. Christian doctrine and Christian living inevitably go together. Bad doctrine leads to, eventually, bad living. Now, certainly those who have sat under bad doctrine can. A a broken clock is right twice a day. Somebody who has been sitting under bad doctrine can certainly do some right things, can follow the Lord, the Holy Spirit can still lead them. But eventually, bad doctrine will affect the way we live our life. 1 Timothy Paul tells Timothy something very similar to what he tells Titus, and he connects the dots again with sound doctrine and sound living. And I want you to catch this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 8-10. through Here's what he says. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So what Paul does with Titus and Timothy is he connects the dots. Sound doctrine and sound living go together. If there's bad doctrine, there's going to be bad living. And what Paul says here is that these behaviors that are clearly wicked, that are qu- clearly against what God would have people do, they are contrary to sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine would lead to, should lead to, sound, sound living. So Paul is instructing both Titus and Timothy to connect the dots to doctrine and life, teaching and life. And if somebody is living in a disobedient manner, it's telling us that they do not understand the commandments of the scriptures. It's telling us that they don't understand the gospel of Jesus because action follows belief. If there's right, right doctrine and bad living, then the person does not understand that doctrine correctly because to understand doctrine correctly, it, it affects the way we live our lives. The instruction that follows then is in accordance to sound doctrine. Whatever comes next is going to be in accordance with sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The commands that are coming are good commands. Now, here's what we're going to look at. Seven commands, seven characteristics, rather, of a godly older man. Seven characteristics of a godly older man. Look at verse 2. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older men. Now, I think it's important for us to recognize that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is addressing Titus and wanting Titus to address a particular group of people. Now, we live in an egalitarian age that despises differences, despises differences. God is not egalitarian, nor the Scriptures. God refuses to treat everyone the exact same way. He just doesn't do it. God is certainly benevolent and fair and loving and completely just to everyone, He is right always, never doing any wrong, but he says different things to different groups of people. So in other words, when God is speaking to old men, consequently, he's not speaking to younger men. There's primary and then there's secondary people that are being addressed. So the older men, their ears should perk up and they they should be thinking, God is speaking to me. This is for me. I need to listen to this. I need to humbly respond to what God has for me here. When he is speaking to older women, he's not speaking to younger women. And when he's speaking to older, younger men, he's not speaking to older men. And when he's speaking to younger women, he's not speaking to older women. There's primary and secondary people being addressed. And we need to listen to this. When God is speaking to older men, older men should listen up. Now, it's interesting because right here, hidden in this, hidden in this passage, is the first characteristic of a godly older man. And that is, number one, teachability teachability. Godly older men are teachable. Now why do I say that? Well, Titus was a younger man, and Paul commanded him, God commanded him, to give instruction to older men. Titus was commanded to instruct older men, to teach them what God would have him teach. Now you don't have to, this is interesting, you don't have to be an older man to teach older men. You have to know the Scriptures. You have to say what God has to say. You don't have to be a younger man to teach younger men. You have to know the Scriptures. You don't have to be a woman to teach women. You have to know the Scriptures. And what we see in this passage is that all that God says to older men, older women, younger men, younger women is good not just because it's coming from somebody their age or somebody of their gender. It's good because it's coming from God Himself. These commandments are not just from Titus. It's not that Titus has good instruction for wise living for older guys where he's going to come along a group of guys at McDonald's and say, guys, here's now how you should live. I'm a young man. I've got all this wisdom. No. Paul was telling Titus, teach them what goes with sound doctrine, this is the very word of God. And these old men were expected to respond to Titus. They were expected to learn from Titus. Godly older men are humble enough to learn from younger men because they know it's not just a young man who's teaching them. That young man is instructing them from God's word. And so older men are humble enough to hear Younger men speak and not write them off simply because they're younger. Godly older men are teachable and they're willing to be a learner for a lifetime. Now, I remember when I was talking with an old man, an old, older man that I respect very, very much, and I remember talking to him and he was the kind of old man that I want to learn from. He's the kind of old man that I wanted to be like. And the reason I say that is he came to me at one point, and he was a man that was far beyond me in life, in experience, and so many things about practical, just practical living. He was so far beyond me. He was a PhD. He was way smarter than I was. His IQ, I'm sure, was way higher than mine. He had so much to teach me, but we sat down, and here's what he said. He's like, hey, Jared, I have so much to learn from you. I've only been a Christian for 10 years, and I just have so much to learn from you." from you. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, uh, brother, it's actually the other way around. I have so much to learn from you because I want to be like you. When I'm in my 60s, I want to have the humility. I want to be the kind of man that doesn't think he's the teacher of everyone. I want to be the kind of man who's willing to learn even though I'm older. I want to be the kind of man that can sit with a younger man across the table and say, you know what, and mean it. I have a lot to learn from you. I really have a lot to learn from you. Godly older men are teachable. And some men, the older they get, unfortunately, the older they get, they become men who refuse to learn from other people. And they refuse to learn from younger men. They just won't learn from younger men. They've been there, they've done that, they think they got the answers to everything. And they miss that it's God behind that young man. It's not just that young man. They miss that and they close themselves off to what God would have them because they think they already know everything. When I was in college, there was a professor that was talking to a group and and this group of uh, young college students, which (laughs) college students, especially when I was in college, college students continue to get, sorry, college students, Ben back there. Ben and and Thomas are here today. So take this with a grain of salt. College students just keep getting dumber. It's just, I, I don't know how it happens, but they just do, except for those guys. And uh, and so when I was in college, it was that way. But, but the attitude, though, of this professor, he said, I, I'm not going to go to any college Bible studies because you guys don't have anything to teach from me. Or you don't have anything to teach me. And the pride and the arrogance that was just emanated from this man, it was repulsive. It's like, okay, we actually don't want you to come now. So we, we would rather you not be around. That kind of pride was repulsive, and Paul, he expected that Titus was going to go into these churches, this, this rowdy bunch. I mean, later on, he says about Cretans, some things that he'd make some generalizations about Cretans, about them always being, I mean, they're liars and drunkards and, and gluttons. It says, he says this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's the culture on the island of Crete. It was a rowdy crew. But yet Paul... Expected that Titus was going to be listened to, that these old men who now had the Holy Spirit, they were going to listen to what God had to say through this man Titus. Teachability. Paul expected the older men to learn from the younger man Titus. Number two, sober-mindedness. The second characteristic of a godly older man is sober-mindedness. We see it right there in explicit. Older men are to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? Well, the opposite of, of being sober-minded would, would be... To be an intoxicated mind, a mind that's not sober is a mind that's intoxicated. It's a mind that's inebriated. It's a mind that can't think clearly. It's a mind that's here and there, but not in one place. It's a mind that's misguided and off the rails. But to be a sober-minded man is to be a man that thinks clearly and rationally and with the wisdom of God. We need godly, sober-minded older men. Godly older men are not men to be men of unbridled passion. Godly older men don't live like a 30-year-old man. They don't live like a 40-year-old man. And now we're kind of getting these categories wherever we may find, find ourselves. They don't live like a young man because they've lived long enough to know that they don't have to chase this rabbit in life and they don't have to chase this rabbit in life. They've slowed down enough to see the work of God and to know what is wise and to know what is foolish. The sober-minded man is, to, is, is able to assess information, to take it and put it against God's Word and know through the power of the Holy Spirit what to do. They're able to assimilate information and walk in wisdom. Not just know the right thing or know the right answer, but know how to live that right thing out. They're know how to be doers of the Word, as Andy just mentioned earlier. A sober-minded man doesn't get easily offended. Doesn't. It's the kind of man who can sleep well at night if somebody d- disagrees with him or if somebody is angry with them. A sober-minded man, we need godly older men who can go to bed at night knowing if they have honored the Lord, they're okay if other people feel dishonored by Him. But some men get so set in their ways, unfortunately, they get so set in their ways that you can't even have a conversation with them about something they disagree with. They're not sober-minded. I mean, The, the caricature about growing older is that you get more and more and more set in your ways. You get more and more crotchety. You know, get off my lawn. Where do you like that? My neighbor, his dog came walking out, big husky. Brandon hollered at him one time, don't, don't let your dog go to the bathroom in our yard. And then we're just sitting on our front porch, this older guy. I feel like I'm already there, you know, like get off my yard. This dog comes up and I was like, don't let your dog go to the bathroom in my yard, please. And he like shrugged his shoulders like I was doing something wrong. You know, it's like, it's a big dog. I don't want to mow over that poop. But the older you get, the caricature is, you can't talk to them. They're set in their ways. They are in concrete. They can't be moved. It's like talking to a brick wall. That's not how godly men should function. It's not that they should get wishy-washy the older they get. It's not that they should be so open-minded that they don't believe anything. It's just that they don't get rattled by things that used to rattle them anymore. They don't get as frustrated as they used to get. A sober-minded man just doesn't get easily offended. You can have a conversation with them, you can disagree with them, and it's not the end of the world. They don't have to be right all the time. They don't have to be perceived as right, even if they know they are. A sober-minded man doesn't obsess about small things or large things. He's able to shut it off. I find this very difficult. I can obsess... And think about something and not be able to get past it. Just think about it and think about it. The sober-minded man, the older you get, we got to walk away from being so obsessed about one particular thing. The sober-minded man is not obsessive in his thoughts. He doesn't have to chase what he used to chase. He does not feel the need to be seen as the wisest man in the room. He's sober-minded. The challenge for men, the older we get, is to have the mind of Christ, knowing when to speak and when to be silent. In a world of outrage, the church should be able to look to the elder statesmen and see men of sober mind and of peace. Everything's on fire, but that man isn't. As you describe this, younger men, you're thinking, yeah, that's, I want to be like that. The older guys, you're thinking, God help me. I want to be like that more and more. Second characteristic of a godly man, a godly old man, an older man is sober-mindedness. The third is dignified. Look at that word, dignified. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified. Dignified. Now, this is something and it isn't something, okay? that um, Dignified does not mean a privileged oil tycoon sitting in his study drinking bourbon every night at his leather chair at 9 p.m., eating really fancy chocolates that none of the normies get access to. Dignified is one thing to the world, but dignified, in this sense, there's a Greek word, symnos, and this Greek word carries with it the idea that a dignified man is a man worthy of respect because of his life, because of the way he lives. People have qualified him as a, a dignified man. It's something he's earned. It's a title that he's, he's earned by living in a certain way Over his lifetime, older men are to live in such a way that they earn honor in the company of the Christian church, of the Christian family. They earn honor by the way they live their life. Dignified. The dignified older man lives in such a way that other people can't help but respect him. The people who know him, he's got this gravitas to him when he comes in the room. People want to honor him. They want to respect him. They just respect him without him having to say a word. He walks in the room, and if there's controversy, people want to know, what does he have to think about this? Because when he speaks, his words are measured, and he's going to bring wisdom, and not just the wisdom of his own mind or experience, he's going to be the, bring the very wisdom of God. He's going to know God's word, and he's going to know how to speak it. He's a man who is dignified. He has earned our respect. The church is desperate, in desperate need of men like this, desperate need. You know, each generation gets a uh, caricature of that generation, right? So the millennial caricature, okay, now millennials, some, uh, oldest millennials are now grandparents. I mean, the millennials, people think millennials are not just like, it's Gen Z, that's, that's, that's the new term for the younger generation, but millennial, that generation got the reputation of being a guy who plays video games, and, and what's, the, what's the location of where he plays video games? Somebody say the caricature, in his mom's basement, Okay. That's the caricature of the millennial. Doesn't know how to work, total bum, goes to college to get a, a general education degree and a women's study degree, and then wants to be an artist, you know, or something. And that's the caricature of, and, and gets in $150,000 of student loan debt to get those degrees. That's the caricature, okay? Now, now every generation... They earn those, they earn that for a reason. Like just because there's a lot of people like that. It doesn't mean that everybody was like that, but they earn that. Now I want to say something, and, and I don't. The baby baby boomer generation have some challenges that are specific to that generation. In large part, the baby boomer generation had fathers that did not say. I love you. How many in here had either a dad that never said I love you or a or a grandpa that never said I love you to their dad? Like you you hear the story. Like they will dad dad turn your phone down. Thanks. <laughs> I love you, dad. No. Yeah, love you dad. Love you dad. I heard I love you from my dad, but we all know there there's there's a uh, characteristics that go with generations. There's several reasons for that behind that. A lot of it goes to the men of previous generation. They saw some of their best friends that they were in a foxhole together with blown up in front of them and they went home and they couldn't talk about it. And they shut down for the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And all they could do was pat their son on the back and say, do your best, man, go work, go work hard. So there's characteristics of generations and that's the same of the baby boomer generation. Dignified, older, baby boomer men are hard to find. Now, for all the talk of millennials, I have bumped into so many emotional, manipulative, closed-minded, opinionated men who care more about what their grandma said about God's Word than what God's Word says about God's Word. And we need... Baby boomer men who don't grow older and entitled, but they become godly, old, sober-minded, and dignified biblical men. We desperately need that. It's a rare thing to find an older man of honor. It really is. We have older men, I've heard this from a lot of baby boomer men, that have counseled young men, and guys, if you've said this, I don't know that you said this, older guys in the room, just stop and please don't ever say this again, who have counseled young men and counseled them in marriage like this. Here's the one thing you got to know, your wife is always right. And they bought stupid lies like that and these men literally tell young men, the best thing you need to know is that your wife's always right. Now wives, if you want to be mistreated, let your husband always think that you're right all the time and never challenge you on anything. It's... Foolish. And, and that kind of counsel was handed down by so many baby boomer men. Just foolish, stupid stuff that wasn't biblical. It's just what grandpa said or what great-grandpa said. And sometimes what grandpa said is really great if it's biblical. But sometimes what grandpa said was really dumb. And we don't need to pass it on. We need godly older men of honor and of dignity. Look at number four. Self-controlled. The fourth characteristic of a godly older man is that this man is a self-controlled man. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Godly older men are men who can bridle their passions. They can bridle their passions. We have this whole category, psychological category, for guys that are leaving middle age, going into going into the back half of their life. It's called the midlife crisis. It used to happen in the 40s, now into the 40s and into the 50s. And the idea... Of the midlife crisis is you see a man and it's like you knew a guy until about 39 40 50 somewhere in that decade you knew a guy and then all of a sudden you hear what happened he left his wife and he's driving a jaguar what what in the world and the guy that used to exist doesn't exist anymore Because he has this thing that we've made up called a midlife crisis. He didn't know how to bridle his passions. And instead, he embraced those passions. And instead of suppressing and denying himself and pushing down sinful desire, he began to embrace them like he was 20 years younger. And he started to live like he was a college student again. Let me do a show of hands again. How many people know a man who has been through a midlife crisis? It might have been you. How many know somebody that's been through through something like that? Let's just see a show of hands. Midlife crisis, where you think, what happened? Okay, Beware of that, young men. Older men, if you've been through that or you're in it, recognize it for what it is. But a godly old man, older man, is somebody who knows how to bridle their passions. An older man who has not been able to control himself is a sad and embarrassing sight. When you see that old guy wearing Hollister... First, you're like, dude, it's not like 2005 anymore, but secondly, that t-shirt's way too small. Like, get over to JCPenney or something. I mean, JCPenney's out, and Dillard's, I guess, that's where everybody goes. JCPenney's out of business now. I bet Dillard's is booming over there. Jordan and I talked about that, because Kohl's, it's like Coles and Dillard's is the only place that you can go to get grown-up clothes. Everyone's seen that older man who thinks he's 30 years younger than he is. And nobody respects him. People pity him. Like, ugh. He thinks he's having a good time at the bar. And everybody there is mocking him. They're like, gosh, I sure hope 20 years down the road I'm still not here. Oh, God, please. Nobody wants to be that man. But godly old men, older men are Self-controlled. Guys that won't grow up are clowns, and they're interested in entertaining other clowns. They're goofy, wanting to entertain goofy people. But a godly older man who has self control is not controlled by what other people think. He's learned, he has learned, that what God thinks of him is more important than what people think of him. A godly older man has learned the importance of delayed gratification. He's under control. I don't have to have it now. I'm not owned by that desire. That that desire is controlled. Self-control is this idea. This is why the government hates people who have self-control because they want control. But a godly older man knows how to control those desires and he knows how to delay that gratification. I don't have to have it now. I can wait. And not only can I wait, I can enjoy the process of waiting. It's out there and it's okay that it's out there, whatever it is. The self-controlled man knows himself well and he knows his Savior better. He does not obsess over trivial matters. He is not controlled by others. He's not controlled by the news. He's not controlled by the CDC. He's not controlled by anything that's wanting to control us right now. He is under control because the Spirit of God dwells within him. He knows his mission. He knows God is not through with him yet. And he gets it done. Still. A godly older man who's self-controlled isn't lazy he knows how to work, and he knows how to get it done. Fifth characteristic of a godly older man is that he is sound in faith. Now, we're going to get three things to be sound in. Sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. The trifecta. So look at stay sound in faith. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. Faith. Again, the church needs older men who are driven by the Word. They're driven by the Word. Older men need to be sound in the faith. That means you're rock solid in the faith. You're not chasing every wind of doctrine. False teachers that tickle ears don't tickle your ears. You've lived long enough not to put up with silly doctrinal nonsense. You know the categories of what's acceptable to agree to disagree on in the Christian faith? You know the categories that are intramural doctrinal debates? And you know where to draw the line. You know that things aren't going to get you upset that shouldn't get you upset. You're sound in the faith. And it's easy to grow older. This is the interesting thing about growing older. It's easy to grow older and ride the wave of former spiritual zeal rather than pressing on towards the goal until glory. It's easy to live back there. To always look to the past and say, man, where I used to be with the Lord, what I used to experience with God, the studies I used to get into, what I used to know, what we used to do, what God used to do in my life. But the godly older man presses on. He moves forward. He's sound in the faith. He does not live on yesterday's zeal. He's a man whose zeal and knowledge continue to grow because he spends time with his king every single day. Back to what grandma or grandpa said, and I don't want to speak disparaging about your grandma and grandpa, because I'm sure they said a lot of great things. However, I've sat with older men, personal experience, looked right in the eyes of older men with Bibles open. Talking about doctrinal issues that are clear cut and dry in God's word that aren't even really that difficult answering questions with them and read a Bible verse to them and have them respond, but my grandma said. God says this, chapter and verse, and an older man look at me and say, but my grandma says. It should be obvious that if anyone in the world, the greatest person who's ever lived, other than Jesus, comes to you and say, greatest person you know, here's what you should or shouldn't do, here's what's right and wrong, here's truth and here's error. And if you're like, wait a minute, I think that that goes against this, you always go with God, always. It's basic, it's basic. It's simple. It doesn't mean you have to be mad or angry with grandma, but it does mean you're like, well, you're right. This is what God has to say. So I'm going to agree with what God has to say. The older man who insists on ignoring God's word, but claims to love God's word is not a man who's sound in the faith. And there's a lot of guys like that. There's a lot of older men like that. As generations have caricatures, so there's trajectories in theology where you look at the history of America and you see good and, and worse theology. And I'm not talking about just like, like one way of looking at the Scriptures and another le- a way that are both acceptable. I'm talking like where heresies are prominent and then good doctrine is prominent. First, gener- First Great Awakening was a doctrinally, by and large, a doctrinally sound Great Awakening of the 18th century. Then the second Great Awakening of Charles Finney and, and the 19th century was doctrinally a train wreck. It was a train wreck. Uh, so many cults come up, came up out in like the 1850s to the 70s. Like a lot of the cults that, are exist, that exist today sprang up in the 1850s to the 70s. Just horrible doctrine. And when you get into the 1900s, like the, so the 20th century, the first half of the 20th century was largely, theologically, an absolute train wreck. It was just a train wreck. And for several different factors, but it was, it was awful. And there's a lot of good old gospel songs, you know, like the the gospel songs, not hymns. I'm talking about the gospel tent revival songs. There's some good ones, but there are a lot of them that are just awful. But the theological, a lot of the theology that went around with these tent camp camp meetings of the 1900s were just terrible. So a lot of the things that great great grandparents, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of the things that like our great grandparents or great grandparents, the, the, the general theology in America was really bad. And so we always have to come back and say, what does God have to say about this? Older men are to be sound in the faith. They're the kind of men at any given age that any, any man should be who come to God's Word and say, okay, it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel or what anybody around me has said. What matters the most is what God has to say about this topic, whatever that topic may be. What does God say? They're called to be sound in the faith. Older men, be sound in faith. In the faith. Older men are those who are to rely on the Holy Spirit. They never get tired of talking about what Christ has done for them. The crown jewel, the central piece of the Christian faith is the cross of Christ. And older men, the older they get, if they're going to be sound in the faith, they're going to get nearer and nearer the cross of Christ the older they get, not further and further away from it. What gets their juices flowing more today than yesterday is talking about that same old message. Let me tell you about my Jesus because every single day I live this life, He becomes more and more precious to me. The man who is sound in the faith, faith Wants to tell you about his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Older men, be sound in the faith. Don't be a theological train wreck. Love Jesus. Follow him, the biblical Jesus. The sixth characteristic of a godly older man is that he is sound in love. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love. And in steadfastness, sound in love. Love is something that can and often does grow cold. It's a challenge for older men because as you get older, there's changes that happen in your bodies. You know, we, we know this, I, I've mentioned this in passing, I believe, before. As women grow older, they go through menopause, their body changes, and it just changes the older they get. For men, as you get older, you have testosterone levels that drop, you get older and and your body changes. You can, you have the strength that's there, but you don't have the stamina. I've heard that from so many guys, like I still have the strength to do all that I used to be able to do, but I can't do that for as long anymore. So I can't go out and work for eight hours in 85 degree heat, like I used to be able to do when I was in my thirties. I can still lift up that rock, but I can do it. I can lift that rock up five times, not 25 times anymore. There's changes physically that happens, but also as we grow older, some of those physical changes that can happen can also be represented in our spiritual life. And if we're not careful, in the same way that muscles kind of, there's, there's entropy, or, or muscle atrophy, whatever it's called, as you get older, can, if you don't use it, you lose it. And our faith muscles and love muscles are similar in the sense that you can grow cold in your love. In your love for God and your love for people, there's a challenge for older men the older they get, the, f- the fewer people they love. Because everybody just, it's like the movie Grumpy Old Men. It's like, I just want to fish, and I wish everyone would leave me alone. <laughs> love is very complex. And Christian older men are to be sound in love. We all know, we all know men that, that love emanates from them. That man loves me. He loves me. He loves the church. He loves God. And we all know examples of the people that just get like a, that character of getting older and love waning. Love is complex. A godly man knows the difference between love and affirmation. Affirmation of sinful choices is not love, it is hate. And a godly older man will not affirm the sinful choices of his children or his grandchildren or great-grandchildren. He loves them enough to confront them. To say, I care about you too much, honey, to do this. You've got to Stop. I love you too much. I, I, you've got to stop it, and you've got to stop it now. Love is not affirmation. Hate is affirmation of sinful choices. A godly older man will love you enough to make you feel uncomfortable, to make your palms sweat, to make you... When I get nervous, I, I, I move... Do, if you, you can know if I'm nervous because I'm doing like something like this, popping my hands and just acting like this, and I don't even know I'm doing it i just act real weird. Godly older men know how to get in your face in love and say, this: I love you enough to tell you the truth. And if you keep doing this, you're going to destroy yourself and others. Older men who can avoid confrontation are older men who are not sound in love. Let me say that again, because there is a way to be a peacemaker, but a peacemaker, the way somebody makes and keeps peace is through con- confrontation not around it peace comes by meeting the situation head on not walking around the situation that's false peace and avoidance cowards do such things and it's easy for men to grow more and more cowardly the older they get because they've avoid and they've convinced themselves boy i'm a peacekeeper and really what they are is I'm going to avoid my wife, I'm going to avoid my kids, I'm going to avoid anything controversial, and I'm going to call myself a peacekeeper and pat myself on the back. But love means a willingness to fight for those that you love. A willingness to confront when you need to confront for the sake of peace and for the sake of God and His glory. Older men and women in the room, like I said before, most likely... had a dad that never said I love you or a grandpa who never said I love you. And it's deeply, deeply troubling. It affects people. Godly older men know how to say they love you and know how to show they love you. Where love is an action in their life. You don't have to confuse it, the two. You know that that godly older man loves you. Jesus loved people. He did. So if a godly older man is going to grow more and more into being a man like Christ, the older he gets, he's going to love people as well. Love God and love people. The seventh characteristic of a godly older, older man is being sound in steadfastness. You see it right there. Sound in faith, sound in love, and in steadfastness. The word steadfastness carries with it a bunch of different meanings. And you, you get this word and, and out pops the, of the box of steadfastness. Things like endurance, perseverance, patience. A godly old man knows what it means to endure. Adore. He knows what it means to endure. Godly men know how to endure pain of all kinds, not just physical, but spiritual. When I was working at a lumberyard years ago, there was a man that came through, and we were loading in some lumber, and he put in a board, and he's like, check this out, and a splinter had went in one side of his finger and out the other, kind of like Isaiah and that knife where it just went in one side and out the other, but it was a splinter, and he was just standing there like nothing happened, and he went and pulled it out with pliers. (laughs) like, man, gosh. I want to be like that. <laughs> they know how to endure pain, physical pain. They're not babies. They know how to endure physical pain, but they also know how to endure spiritual pain because they've experienced it in life. You live life long enough, you're going to experience pain of all sorts, physical and spiritual. You're going to experience backstabbing, betrayal. You're going to experience... Mountains and valleys. You're going to experience difficulty with your kids, young and old. You're going to be put in situations where you don't know what to do. You're, you're now 60 years old. You're 70 years old. I'm supposed to know these answers, and I have no idea what to do. You've been through it, and yet you've learned to endure, to persevere, to be patient, to trust in the Lord, to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and you know that He will direct your paths godly older men are sound in steadfastness and older men have the unique opportunity to come alongside that younger man and talk to them the one who is struggling and say i've been there i've experienced pain of all sorts and what you need to do is you need to get up you got to get your head up don't wallow you're not a victim you got to get up you got to press on That's not who you are. Get up. Get going. You belong to the Lord. God is faithful. I'll walk with you through this, son. You ever met a man, an old man, who calls younger men son, even though it's not a son of his? I hope when I'm an older man, I just don't have my sons, but I have spiritual sons, where I'm able to say, hey, son. And that means something to somebody. Older men are able to come alongside because they're steadfast. They've weathered the storm. They've been through the storm. They've been to the eye of the storm. They've been out the other other side and they're still standing by the grace of God. They have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They have been young and they have been old and they have never seen the righteous forsaken. And they're able to tell you that God has been faithful to me. He has got me through this and I would never turn my back on Him. There is nothing in this world, nothing that could be thrown at me you pile those sticks high. You put me on that stake. You tie a rope around me and tell me to recant. And I'm going to give you the match and light it myself. I've been through it. God, the godly older man, is steadfast. He's an anchor of sanity. He's an anchor of soundness. He's an anchor of steadfastness. Older men are needed to be those anchors in the Christian community. We need that kind of patriarchy. We need it. Older men, there's a tendency to think, let the younger men do it. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. We're going to do what God's called us to do. We're going to get some direction here in a little bit. We need older men who will step up, will make decisions that will lead their families. That will lead their families. Men, the, the cost of following Jesus, I heard it this, this weekend. The cost, there's an actual cost. There's going to be, I think, in the coming days, there's going to be more of a cost to following Jesus, to being the patriarch. The men are always the first to bleed, the first to die, the first to go to prison, the first to sit in that cell unjustly, and we need godly men who are going to be steadfast and unwavering, and they say and mean, come what may, I'm going to be standing strong. God is faithful, and He is going to hold up my arms. My arms aren't going to come down. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to see the work of God. We need men like that. Old men come to a fork in the road like younger men do as well where they hit this midlife crisis and they're either going to grow into the gray-haired man or they're going to go off and they're going to be a little boy for the rest of their life. Older men get through a stage where they're either going to, their love is going to grow cold or it's going to grow red hot. You have decisions to make. The older you get, men, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of legacy do you want to live, to leave? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to be the kind of older man that younger men, your sons, your grandsons, your great-grandsons, your son-in-laws? You want to be the kind of man that they look look to and they think, I don't want to be like him. I want to do everything the opposite way that he's doing it. Or do you want to be the kind of man that leaves a legacy? A legacy of faith, not of your amazing everything or your greatness. We've been a man who will humbly live before God and others, wanting to obey God at all costs. Say, so I'll be the man that God wants me to be. I'll be the patriarch. I'll love my wife that way. I'll love my kids that way. I'll stop avoiding. I'll stop, be the, stop being the pacifist. Just trying to put out fires and just try to play that peacekeeping game and walk on eggshells so, uh, so I don't be intrusive to anybody. One of the worst things men can do is walk on eggshells around their wife, ensuring that they don't grow spiritually for the rest of their life. It's also a thing that wives need to be challenged with is to challenge your husbands. Don't walk on eggshells around him, letting him be the same man the rest of his life. But unfortunately, in the day we live in today, it's mostly the opposite. It's mostly opposite, especially with older men. Where I'm gonna tiptoe around my wife, let her get her way, let her be happy, and you let her stay the way she is the rest of her life. We need men who will step up and walk into the into the situation, bring, bring confrontation for the sake of the good of those that he loves. Peace comes through confrontation. We need men who are anchors. Here's the truth in the scriptures. God uses older men. Noah was around 500 years old when God told him to build an ark. 500. Waking up, getting his morning coffee, going for his morning walk. At 500, you probably have three walks a day. You birdwatch. You throw some rocks, you know, skip some rocks, but lightly because your rotator cuff is really sore at 500. Your, your hands aren't as calloused anymore because you're not doing the work you used to do when you were 400. God comes to Abraham around 500 years old, build an ark, takes him 120 years. Abraham 70 years old when God called him out of the land he was living and he not knowing where he was going, said, all right, and brings everything with him. Come on, guys, we gotta move. Does anybody at 70 wanna move? Nobody likes moving like from a house to an apartment. Nobody likes moving. And God comes to Abraham at 70. It's time to go. Okay, Lord, where you call me, I'll go. Me and my whole household. And we'll go wherever you call us to go. David and his mighty men were to be feared into their old age. The fear of Absalom is that these mighty men are mighty men of valor. And the warning that he got from the older man is, hey, these warriors are still warriors, and you don't want to mess with David and his mighty men. Peter died an old man, legend has it, upside down by way of crucifixion because he would not be crucified in the way of his Lord. Everyone wishes to die a death in bed, at home, with no pain. Peter was not not afraid of a cross. Not only not afraid of a cross, he said, do it upside down. I am not worthy to be crucified in the way of my Lord. Polycarp died by fire down through the ages. Old Christian men have lived and died well. To every older man, hear me. Don't grow older and wither away. Your body will, it is a jar of clay. You will get it will be more and more difficult the older you get to do things physically than you do right now. But spiritually, God is faithful to carry his work out in you to completion. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Each passing day, you get closer and closer to glory. The best is yet to come. Don't whine your way to death. Don't complain your way to death. Don't grow weary in doing good your way to death. Become a better man today than you were yesterday. And then the next day, become a better man and leave that legacy of faith. Your kids and grandkids say, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my grandpa. If I can be half the man he was... Well then I would be a great man. Paul and Timothy, 1 Timothy 4:12. Paul tells the church at Ephesus, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. He tells us to Timothy. Everybody looked at Timothy as a young man. Many Christians within Ephesus saw Timothy as this young buck, this young guy on the street, this young preacher. Well, Paul, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, says this. It's fast, or Chapter 6, verse 11, says this. But as for you, O man of God. Other people saw youth. Paul looked at this young man. He was the kind of older man who would call men up into manhood. And he said, you, as for you, O man of God. That's how Timothy was addressed by Paul. He speaks to Timothy as a man and calls Timothy up, not to stay as a child, but to grow up into manhood. And that's what we need older men to do. Call us up. Tell us by the grace of God, put, we can carry more. By the grace of God, you can be the man God has called you to be. Take on responsibility for the glory of God. We need a culture of godly manhood in this church and in the world. When old men are godly men, the church is healthy. And the women and children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews, they thrive. When old men are weak puppets of their wives in every wind of doctrine, it's not long before the church building is empty and there is a wake of pain in the lives of those generations, generation after generation. The community suffers. The world suffers. So we have a choice the older we get. Are we going to be God's men? Are we going to be the men that God has called us to be? Older men, I know you're tired. You've worked hard. You've got calluses. But don't grow weary in doing good. In due time, you will be rewarded. You're leaving a legacy. It'll either be a wake of damage or a wake of glory. May it be a wake of glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.